Welcome to MGO Radio 9.2. We are on the verge of a historic third matchup with the Yukon Huskies of Yukon. How you guys doing? Oh. I'm Brian Cook. <laughs> I'm Seth Fisher, and I've lived through some Yukon games before. Yeah. I'm Alex Drain, and I'm ready to be done watching Yukon. <laughs> uh, yeah, Alex Alex drew the short stick, so he's, he's had to spend hours and hours every week looking at three of the worst teams in Division One. So far, uh, it gets more interesting from here. Mostly, <laughs> he's gonna think Tongo Velo is like the, the the king of quarterback gods. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be like he gets on the highway and he's like, oh my god, what's going on? <laughs> anyway, so we are looking down the barrel of the Yukon Huskies. The spread is forty-seven and a half. Uh, UConn was one of the worst defenses in the history of Division One last year. They brought in Jim Mora Jr., and things are less hideous. They're they're not quite as bad, but they're still very very bad. Alex, what's yeah. the worst thing going on with the UConn Huskies? Oh well, the worst thing is the secondary. Okay. Um, they well, really the pass defense because the secondary doesn't get any help either. Right. Like they can't cover anybody, but they also don't get any help because no one can pass rush. Um, and let's not let's not downplay that, because I was watching their the highlights that are on YouTube from the Syracuse game and Syracuse's quarterback is just sitting back there. It's not like he's doing one, two, three balls out, one, two, three, four, five balls out. He is setting up official tea for the queen i guess king of england at this point too soon i don't know <laughs> it, it like he's just sitting in the pocket nobody is coming anywhere near him if michigan gets a seven nothing lead in this game they can run out the half by just dropping back and having mccarthy sit there for 45 minutes that could happen but jermaine gonzalez yeah. play <laughs> it's it's a brutal situation and i put this in the piece but for those who got their copies of HTTV very recently, uh, reading that in preparation for the game. Um, there was a pass rusher that we were very high on, um, mentioned quite prominently in the UConn preview, unfortunately no longer with the program. You don't really know why. but um, <laughs> So that probably contributes to the reason they can't get after the quarterback because this is not a deep roster anyway, and to lose a guy like that um, very suddenly before the season was tough for them and in the place of that they don't blitz much but why would they they blitz five and nobody gets home they rush three nobody gets home doesn't matter so they at different times drop seven and eight into coverage and that's what will be interesting for jj because there will be receivers there who are open and oftentimes in the syracuse and and uh, utah state highlights it was more the quarterback trying to decide which of the four open receivers was the right one to go to. Cause there's all these holes in the zone when they drop into coverage and, and which one <laughs> is the right guy uh, was kind of the, the big question there. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think will be something that you can take away from this game is like, how does J how does it feel like JJ is reading those, those zones because Syracuse's quarterback was not getting the ball out on time because he didn't have to. And even if JJ can sit back there and survey and survey and survey, what I would prefer to see is him getting balls out in rhythm. And whenever someone's dropping seven or eight, it doesn't matter how bad they are. There's going to be points at which you're confused. You're expecting one coverage. You got a different coverage. Can he maintain that, that hot streak that 
of just knowing where to go with the ball that we, we saw against uh, Hawaii. And they don't bother to cover the flats really at all. Like if you just want to take the eight yards underneath, they'll give it to you all day long. Um, you look at their numbers in those two uh, games against FBS opponents. Uh, I think there was, was it like 40 of 52 opponents were passing uh, 75% yeah. completion and Schrader, the Syracuse quarterback who is a lot better than the Utah state one. Um, I think he had three incompletions, 20 of 23 in that game. So yeah. <laughs> Poor Cade McNamara. He's like, this is like the best team for him to face ever. <laughs> Dump it down all day. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Give me the ball, coach. <laughs> and one one thing that I did think was interesting is that they have a guy who you really like, Colin McCarthy, and he's sort of a defensive end slash defensive tackle, and he's six foot seven, listed at two fifty three, which is like Zach Gentry territory. Not exactly a guy who you expect to be blowing things up on the inside, but he looked really good against Utah State and could be a test for Zach Sinter, who's coming up off a bit of a rough game against Hawaii. Yeah, that'll be a matchup to watch. UConn's rush defense has been better um, than their passing defense by a significant margin. They've done okay. I don't know how much of that is related to the pass defense problem because teams just don't even feel like uh, running necessarily. And Utah State, they just kept running into these loaded boxes where – you know, they, they'd move the interior lineman, but the linebackers right there and they're not doing anything all game to try and delete linebackers from the play. And they're just slamming into the line. Um, so I think if Michigan's a little smarter, they should be able to move the ball on the ground because Utah state, and this is something else I put in the piece, but people think of them as a pretty good program. They won the mountain West last year. They beat Oregon state in a bowl game. Uh, they got crushed by Weber state last week, right? They do 35 they, to seven. Yes, yeah, they, they do not appear everybody. to be usual. Yeah, they're right. they're they're actually worse than Nevada as far as teams that like return the least amount of uh, talent from last year. And Nevada was the one, obviously, that like got you know scraped away by CSU. So, in terms of what we're looking for from the Michigan offense, other than just JJ continuing to be literally perfect, um, I think one interesting thing that we might see is their front looks pretty light to me. They might have some adaptations for Michigan going with two tight ends that we haven't seen yet because they haven't really gone up against a non-spread offense. But their linebacker level is real light. And Michigan has done a lot with Honigford and Schoonmaker as twin tight ends to one side of the line. That might get you away from uh, McCarthy. I, I got to be very specific, Colin McCarthy, <laughs> um, and and continue sort of paving because he came in. I mean, we'll talk about this in the next segment, but Screenmaker came in with a plus eight point five and no minuses in the last game, and that continues on from what he did in the opener. So I'm I'm going to be looking to see like can those two tight ends kind of keep up their uh, their excellent blocking start to the season. Well, I got good news. I think Colin McCarthy might actually be out for this game. Is the uh, wait the news that might that was coming through recently? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's like they're trying to make it less interesting. So yeah, everybody hop on that minus forty-seven point five. <laughs> but but Brian yeah. Booyah Randall, former Michigan State Spartan, is going to be out there on the edge. He's he's one of the reasons they have no pass rush because he like. You know, the one time I think he got in the backfield, he falls down, and the Syracuse quarterback looks at him and then spends another four <laughs> seconds in the pocket. 
Yeah. They also don't have a defensive coordinator. Just want to put that out there. Right. Um, yeah, they, that guy that, went on a vision quest a week before the season. <laughs> that kind of contributes defense. to the problem. Yeah. The same week his best player leaves. And yeah, there there might be some. Well, if you were there. UConn's defensive coordinator and your only pass rusher went somewhere, you'd be like, all right, I'm out. It's over. Fair enough. Um, but we're playing this game and. Um, yeah, I kept on trying to remember the name of that BYU uh, lineman. I think Ty Detmer. No, Ty Detmer, <laughs> right? Kafusi uh, was it? One is it was one of the Kafusi brothers. There was like a six eight dude who well, this guy reminds me of, who was just like the one player they had on BYU, and like everyone mm-hmm. just ran away from his side. But he played the same kind of thing. He was like a tackle at six eight, two fifty or something. He just looks like a tight end. Well, all right. Well, let's move on to the other side of the ball where. Um... Taquan Roberson was going to be their starter. He gets injured. He tears his ACL like a few plays into the season. And now a guy who was backing up Taquan Roberson is going to play quarterback against Michigan. Uh, his, uh, his name is Zion. What's his last name? Carter? Uh, Zion Turner. Yeah. Zion Turner. And he was a decent recruit. 600 overall in the composite. Guy was a two-year starter for St. Thomas Aquinas. So that's a major powerhouse but he threw 17 passes against syracuse he completed 14 passes against syracuse he got 92 yards and 56 of those yards were on a wide receiver screen so other than the 56 yard wide receiver screen his completions went for 2.8 yards carry so this is going to be the full rutgers experience they are not going to drop back they're not going to throw the ball deep. They're just going to try to check down and survive. And they might take a shot or two at some point. But this is really, I mean, I don't even know what the cornerbacks are going to do other than try to tackle. So Yeah. The So the thing with Turner is he's just not ready, right? He's right. a true freshman. Like, I think that given the recruiting profile, and, and he made a couple plays in the Utah State game, he has mobility. Like, I think that if they give him some time, he will be better than Taquan Roberson in a few years, right? But right. right now, it's just not ready. And the Utah State game, he kind of gets thrown out there. And I think they were still trying to run the Roberson offense with him a little bit. And mm-hmm. or, and then uh, I was kind of like, no, we're not ready for that. And so then against Syracuse, they're like, well, the training wheels are now fully on because they took a few throws down the field um, against Utah State, and those didn't go very well. So they decide, okay, we're just going to have him throw – two-yard screens, three-yard screens, and that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, they did a few zone reads in the game that I watched. And wasn't really ready to read those properly. Um, he has a little bit of escapability, which I think is an interesting thing to bring up because Joey Yellen of Hawaii was really not a runner. Um, and Millen of, of Colorado State, not much of a runner either, didn't get time either with those offensive tackles. But uh, there's a possibility on a play where they're not running a screen if that ever happens that we could get a look at Michigan uh, possibly having to keep contain in this game and, and how that goes for the first time this season. Yeah, that's something that, I mean, as you mentioned, is not going to happen often, right? They're just not going to take those chances, maybe more than two or three times. Seth? No, I was, I was just going to say that like when I mentioned that the right tackle for Colorado State was probably the worst player that Michigan might play this year, 
Several people mentioned to me that UConn's right tackle is going to give him a run for his money. So, Alex, several <laughs> people. Yes, well, a couple people in the several people had takes on UConn's right tackle in your life. Yes, I don't <laughs> yes. know if that means you're living right or if you need no, to. No, it like, means check everyone was desperate for facility. football, and UConn, uh, Utah State was like good football for a moment that one week. Remember, like everyone tuned oh. in and saw. This guy, like, well, yeah, remember Zion Turner threw an interception to Hunter Reynolds, and we were all like, yeah, that's our guy. No, I do not remember. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't remember it because I didn't know that in the first place because it was Utah State versus UConn. It, it was, but it was like the best football that was on at that moment, and I was, you know, beginning of the season. You get you, you take whatever football comes your way, Brian. It, it was that or it was Illinois-Wyoming in that 4 o'clock slot in yeah. week zero. So, Or it, like living your life. <laughs> Uh, they do have a running back who's pretty decent, Nathan Carter. Um, he's kind of a guy. I don't know. His rushing stats are pretty decent. UConn's been able to run the ball a little bit, but uh, when you look under the hood, it's kind of boomer bust. They get a couple 20, 30-yard runs a game, and then the rest just go for one or two yards. So we'll see if Michigan can contain that. Uh, if they give up any busts, it might happen later in the game when the same second stringers and third stringers we saw against Hawaii are out there. Um, otherwise, the receivers are all like they don't even throw to the tight ends, really. They're just used for blocking on screens. They have a little slot guy, Aaron Turner, about it. They don't they, they have some bigger receivers, but they don't throw to them because they don't throw down the field. So right. well, the, the tight ends are 224 pounds and 237 pounds. So, I mean, using them as blockers doesn't seem like it's going to go very well either. Yeah, they're yeah, not I mean, good blockers. I did like Carter. He kind of reminds me of Stokes. Same kind of one foot in the ground, get vertical kind of mm-hmm. approach to the game. Do we have anything else to say about the UConn Huskies or UConn? Uh, on Seth's note about Utah State, Phil Paella is on Utah State. <laughs> yeah. Who you may recall buried on the depth chart for like four seasons at Michigan. But- is he starting for Utah State? I don't know if he was starting, but he was out there. He was in rotation. Yeah, he was definitely on the line. But who, the guy who was not out there is Jack Stewart, who, like, I figured would have played one of these lines because both these lines are terrible. And he, uh, you know, he transferred to, to UConn. They haven't played him at all. They do have a guard who's been like starting, I think, since he was a true freshman. He got his, uh, you know, free year for 2020. Um, Christian Haynes, and like that guy, he was. You know, people were recruiting him to transfer. He was someone that uh, some big schools were looking at, actually. And then he decided to stay at UConn for whatever reason. People decided to stay at UConn. And, okay. you know, we, we, we could, might actually we get some information on our tackles this week. UConn players. <laughs> uh, last or thing. we could take a break and talk about J.J. McCarthy. <laughs> Let's take a break! <laughs> Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. 
Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Radio 9.2. Uh, we did have one final take on the UConn Huskies, Alex. So we know about how Harbaugh likes to give opportunities to players from the state with which the opponent um, inhabits. So we had the Jabril Peppers against Rutgers thing. Roman Wilson, two touchdowns last week, including that nice little underround play for him. Several candidates this week, but we think the number one candidate is Luke Schoonmaker from Connecticut, but it could be Cornelius Johnson. Uh, there's a few <laughs> others, Tristan Bounds, we could see, but Luke Schoonmaker, this is the Schoon game. So I'm I'm predicting double pass from Schoonmaker to Johnson. That's what I got. It's awesome. He's a high school quarterback. I mean, it could happen. Could. Uh, also, Jake Thaw is another option that they could go with. Jake Thaw is not... <laughs> He's from Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, he's from Connecticut. All right. Uh, Wait, you know who's not that... from Connecticut? Uh, as I... <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. 
Uh, none of our sponsors are from Connecticut, and we didn't forget to mention them. We just didn't want them to be associated with the Yukon Huskies defense. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts and was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the MGOblogstore.com. We also want to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshire Landing, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, and we are recording this on Signal Wire. All right, so I think everybody wants to talk about J.J. McCarthy. <laughs> Just hold on to that performance. One last podcast segment, and then we move on into the future. I... Went over the tape in detail, and everybody was super hyped about McCarthy after that game. I think I'm even incrementally more hyped about him after going over the film. Because uh, we had this discussion about the one incompletion where it's like, okay, there's a slant, there's a linebacker who's pretty close to there. And you see McCarthy freeze that guy by looking directly at him and get the window. Barely, but he got the window. And I think his ability to not stare down his receivers is pretty advanced for a guy who's in his second year of college and was in his first actual start. So I think that he physically moved the safety on the Cornelius Johnson post because he just stared the safety down and then he flicked his eyes over to Bell just for a half second and that got him to bite. And then when Donovan Edwards is singled up against linebacker and the safety is like, oh, I got to go get this guy. He doesn't, he knows where he's going pre-snap, but he doesn't look it up. You know, He's not staring Edwards down. He's staring at the safety. And so that ability to look at people you're not throwing to for a couple of seconds to keep the guy open is not stuff you often see from young quarterbacks. And to see him be able to do that, and then on the Edwards throw, I mean, he lays that in on a line. As much as any 35-yard throw is going to be on a line, that's on a line. And so he puts it in a spot where Edwards can get it. And even if the safety does jump it, he's not getting there. I think so, he's like 10 yards away when the ball gets there. I mean, uh, it was more like five. But for a guy who's like clearly cheating to Donovan Edwards as he leaves the screen, because I don't have all 22, mm-hmm. but he knows what's coming. And McCarthy is still able to get that throw. So when you look at it and you look at the the fine details and you look at what he's looking at, who he's looking at, and then where the ball goes, I mean, even better than I thought. Because I think that, I mean, there's another example that Bell drag that went for about 30 yards. Mm-hmm. There's a middle linebacker who's supposed to be out on that, and he steps the wrong way. Maybe that's just a bad player, but also McCarthy is not looking at Bell until right before he throws the ball. So to me, that's a guy who has an idea of where he wants to go with the ball and has a confidence to not have to make sure that it's okay. And when he doesn't have to make sure that it's okay, he actually makes it okay. Um, so that's my JJ McCarthy take. And you embedded the the Devin Gardner Al Borges, uh, watch, you know, watching that play. And, yeah, and like the two of them are arguing back and forth because Borges is like, no, there's X amount of guys on the right side. You're supposed to come and look at the left. And Gardner is like, look at his eyes. Look how he's looking. This guy, he he knows he's got that linebacker. He knows that as long as he keeps that linebacker inside, he's not going to be able to get there because he can make that throw. And then it comes down to an argument about whether the quarterback can make the throw or not because he's got the arm. He's got the arm. But the right. what you saw in the UFR, I thought, and what was absolutely most encouraging is 
the way that he's manipulating people out there. And that's not a guy who's like a young kid getting in there and just slinging it to the open dude. This is the kind of stuff that we thought McNamara was going to be better at and therefore had a chance to win this job. Yeah, and he looked natural in the few instances where he was throwing underneath or against particular zone covers. There's a conversion to Bell on an out to the boundary, which was fine. There was another throw to Bell where they were running a triangle concept and his hitch is going to be open and McCarthy has no hesitation. He's getting the ball on time. He's not hitching up. He's not delaying. He's not taking that extra beat that you often see young quarterbacks. You like Davis Warren. Hmm. Uh, there was one play from Davis Ward I embedded where he actually got to his third read, but the speed with which he uh, got from read one to read two to read three wasn't quick enough. And so he had to throw it off his back foot and it sailed. And I haven't seen McCarthy have to go to read three yet, but mm-hmm. he's definitely gone to read two several times. And I think one of the things that Gardner pointed out that's really salient is that the kind of throws on those posts that you're not supposed to get that against one high. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because uh, Hawaii is not a very good football team. But to not predetermine where I'm going to go to Bell here, because Bell was open too on that dig. Yeah. Like to to take the, the bigger shot, the better shot, and then to put it right on Cornelius Johnson. Like the only person who had to break stride for a, a pass in this game was Roman Wilson. And that was the right play because Roman Wilson was so open that your main priority at that point is like, don't screw this up. Right. So like you couldn't really have asked him for better ball placement. And it's just 12 throws and all that stuff, but uh, A plus, A plus performance. And the other guys who kind of stood out on the offense were, as mentioned, Luke Schoonmaker, who was plus eight and a half and had no minuses. Second consecutive big week for him. And then uh, Olu Oluwatimi, that block on the, <laughs> the end around. That block. He's, he's got like. I'm going to clip his, that. His job is to like sell. That was the we, sexy I, voice, Brian. Gotta, you were all right. We gotta. I watched that block, and I'm like, you know what? We we are uniquely positioned to issue a block of the year award, <laughs> and true. we should have started this award well before. We're gonna call it the Khalid Hill. Award, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was the hammering panda award. The only thing it could be named. And this is this is a candidate for block of the year because he has to sell a down block, like they're gonna run power the other way, and then he's got to chuck this guy past him. Then he's got to get around and seal out another guy. It's a combination of wisdom, strength, and agility. And then after he wins that block and the guy's going upfield of him, he raises his hands up so that there's no even a vague chance that there's a holding call there. And I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wish I had more time with him. But uh, big ups to Bronco Mendenhall for retiring. But yeah, so I thought I thought he had a real good game. There's still not really a whole lot to say about the wide receivers, particularly because in this game, I think there were a total of three throws that were catchable and not routine in my grading. Well, that I want to stump Ronnie for Ronnie Bell here on the touchdown because he's got a guy in his back and he has to go up for it. Ah, I know it's on his it's, chest, but it's like on his face mask, it's on his face. But it's also he's got a guy in his back and he's got to leap up in the air for it. I mean, you could give that ah. to I that could. A, I'll, I'll, I'll say it was a two I in could. my charting last year. If you're looking at my charting and wondering why there was more catchables than whatever, that that was uh, that was a two but in it, my charting last at year. At least it's it's debatable, right? Like yeah. it's it's borderline, yeah. even if it is a two. Sure, sure. So they got a ton of routine opportunities. 
Um, I thought we saw Amorian Walker and uh, Andrew Anthony both had route minuses because they're, they're, they had some struggles against press coverage. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something to watch out for, especially for Anthony, because this is year two for him. Walker, you kind of expect it because he's 180 pounds. He's six foot four. Yeah. Um, and then pass protection was kind of the one bugaboo because there was that sequence where there were three consecutive pressures on 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 McNamara, and two of them came for the tackles, and one of them came for Zinter. Zinter had a couple other bad plays. He got dusted two other times by those defensive tackles for Hawaii. I'm still the like, one I driving. There was that one tackle they have. But yeah, there there is. So they might have a guy there, and that's mm-hmm. a little bit. You might you might say that okay, maybe that guy's a player, but also we wanted Zinter to be like all American yes. level. Yeah, and that has not yet manifested. So overall, I mean, I think this game was extremely encouraging. Um, but those are a couple of hiccups, and I, also we got a look at C.J. Stokes, and I like Stokes. So he's a guy who has that sort of natural tendency to push it wide and then cut right off his offensive lineman's butt, which is very effective. He had one bad bounce in this game, but other than that, pretty solid. Uh, what did you see on defense? Uh, I saw Mason Graham. And, I mean, we're going to – you have to do the Hawaii, you know, the right, knockdown, yeah. right? Like take 20% off of every uh, play because that because they're just so bad. But, like, I'm watching him against Chris Jenkins, who is also dominant, and I'm watching him against Mozzie Smith. And, you know, they they rotate who gets doubles and who gets – he was playing a lot of nose, too. And then he got to stay in and play against those guys for most of the game when the starters all came out. Um, and Graham, it's just – it's not just the, you know, Ryan Glasgow rip move. It's not just the fact that he's getting in the backfield and just blowing up doubles. It's that – like they, all the little things that they do to defensive tackles, where you're like, "Oh, freshman tackles are going to mess it up." You watch Kenneth Grant next to him, and Grant is just making those mistakes, and you're like, "Okay, freshman mistake." We've seen that before from defensive tackles. Mozzie Smith made those mistakes too when he was a freshman, and then Graham's just not making those mistakes. Like, there's a guy; uh, he's he's got a double, and he's got to get. He's got to hop outside of them because they're going to run stretch on him. And he stays in contact with the first guy until he kind of fixes the you know first step because he was going to go upfield. And then he rips around that guy, and he's got them bundled up, and he's got his, his back in his spot. And it's like every single defensive tackle we've ever seen goes upfield on that stretch, right? Like how many times Chris Jenkins did it last year against State? Like every single freshman tackle makes that mistake, and Graham didn't make that mistake. So I think Michigan's got a player. I think that gives them three defensive tackles now that, like, I really trust in there. And, I mean, let's go. Um, that's did. I mean, how did Benny come out in your grading? Benny, I, he didn't get to have as many events. He had that sack, which was just incredible. Um, you know, it's – right. Well, he had Why a couple he, other plays. Yeah. Yeah, but he had also had a couple other plays where he, like, held up a guy and then shed and then looked. I mean, he, I thought. He did. He uh, he had a couple of, the like, those freshman mistakes. But um, when they tried to go zone on him, it was exactly what we've been kind of saying about him. Like, remember Raekwon Williams from Michigan State? It's the guy who's just, like, super long and, like, super athletic. So, like, every time they try to zone him, his feet stay underneath him and his arms keep everybody at length. And he just controls the whole play. And Benny did that a couple times, these guys. 20% off for Hawaii, but, I mean, it's still something. Um, he's certainly a guy that they're going to be able to, you know, put in there and have him take some real snaps this year as long as 
you know, some of the mistakes clean up. Uh, but I think his total was plus 3.5. Yeah, it was, it was like plus 6, minus 2.5, which is, you know, on I mean, 17 for, snaps, it's not that bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, do you have... A, I was going to say, say there's a big drop between him and, like, the next guys. Yeah, so it feels like the two deep at, at defensive tackle is pretty well established. It's the two yeah. starters and then Mason Graham and Benny. Yeah. And that feels pretty good. I mean... Yeah. You'd ideally like your backups to be maybe a year older, but this is 2022, so you just don't really have that opportunity anymore. So it's you just got to live on the on the edge. Yeah, I I'm hoping Braden McGregor starts making more of his tackles. He did rope down a guy one time when they didn't read him on zone read, and he just got got a free shot at the running back. But he um he tends to get in the backfield really quickly. He's got really good hands, and then he doesn't use them to tackle the player. He just kind of runs by the player and all of a sudden you got a gaping hole. Uh, Morris was 15 snaps plus eight. I mean, he was just dominant against those guys. And uh, I, I I don't think that we're going to get this kind of performance. This is probably a little bit more opponent dependent kind of performances, but they didn't get to rush as much because, you know, Hawaii just wanted to get the ball out of there as soon as possible. Yeah. It was one of those screens and quick fades offenses that, it's very frustrating to try to like, yeah, get your numbers in on <laughs> a cornerback. Uh, it looks like Green's in good coverage. He's on the guy's hip, and the ball goes forty feet over his head. Okay, well, <laughs> plus one coverage, plus one. We're done. <laughs> yeah, like the 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 like pro football focus thing where it's like Will Johnson is grading out the second best corner in the country. It's like how is that what? even? <laughs> I mean, how are you even making that determination? And they had an 88 score for him, or 88% for him, and I'm like, well, that's 22 plays. I don't think I've charted him 22 plays yet. I don't, I don't know if it's exactly that. I don't think that's. I'm just saying, like, how much are they really going on? Like, there's, there's, he's only been on. I mean, yeah, they're they're not really going on anything because it's like, even if you're like watching guys who aren't being targeted and he's in good coverage, it's like, okay, well, that's only half the battle, even right? Like, if that. And he, so, he also uh, got beat by CSU for a touchdown already, so it's right, which <laughs> seems like kind of a big negative. <laughs> Figured that would for... be in the scoring somehow. So I I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're getting a lot of all twenty two, and he's just you know balling out out there or something. Or I don't know. He's um he missed up he messed up one zone, but he was playing nickel, and I, I guess you know true freshman playing his third position. It's probably not you know he doesn't doesn't have all the things down for that. Uh, but I mean, it's, I couldn't really tell with these guys because they didn't have that great of receivers anyway. So, you know, everyone was in phase with them. So Michael Barrett got the start next to uh, Colson yeah. replacing Khalil Mullings. How viable do you think that might be going forward? That's another opponent thing. He's, I mean, we still have the problems with him um, at linebacker things, right? Like t- taking on blocks and knowing exactly which hole to go to. Okay. <laughs> let's but, let's look at this defensive line though. Yeah. You got Mike Morris, you got Mozzie Smith, you got Chris Jenkins. I think Mason there's Graham. a pretty good chance he's gonna be clean a lot. That's, so if yeah. you have the kind of defensive line where it's like the linebacker is kept clean, I think Barrett suddenly becomes a pretty good option. He does, and he can do some cool I mean, he's probably the best no not even probably he's the best blitzer on the team. He's their best pass rushing weapon. He he gets skinny through the hole. He picks his targets. He times the snap really well. And, you know, he can change out of a blitz and get down to the running back. Like, you know, sometimes you just – the running back leaves and that's your guy and you kind of have to cancel your blitz and peel off. And he did that a few times as well and stayed with this guy. He also um, 
shut down an edge play that was meant to get him. Like, they had everybody else out of the way, and, like, it was just down to him uh, versus a tackle because it was a screen play, and everyone else goes for the screen. So now he's got, like, the extra blockers out, out there. He beats the tackle out there, even though the tackle had, you know, good down 11 yards on him or something, and then also beat the wide receiver who was supposed to be doing the block. Well, he runs there. through that wide receiver for the yeah. same play. And so, like, and the tackle gets out to him. He's across the line of scrimmage by a yard or two. He's driven that wide receiver a couple yards. He's absorbed two blockers. He doesn't make the tackle, right? but he's destroyed that screen. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kind of behind JT Barrett as the second starting linebacker. Michael, I mean, Michael Bennett. <laughs> Can't cut Michael, delete that right now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's Michael Barrett. Oh yeah, Michael Barrett. He's I I as long as they can keep him clean, it's gonna. I think that's really gonna work, especially because Junior Colson. You didn't. I didn't get to see very much of him this time. This Hawaii was not really getting to the second level, so the linebackers didn't get to do very much. It was you know the play yeah. was made at the line. Um. An incredible number of zero-yard plays in this game, not just incompletes. They were just getting stuffed. So, right. yeah, but but that – Barrett gives you an opportunity to, like, do all that amoeba stuff too because – Yeah, and, and at the things. very least, he's a viable guy to, like, rotate in. So Hill Green's yeah. going to come back. He's probably going to be the starter. But based on matchups and also just to keep guys fresh, I think he can – you can start working him in. Sort of like Jordan Glasgow as a senior mm-hmm. where – he was still pretty much a safety, but he was draftable as a weak side linebacker. And I think Barrett kind of brings a lot to the table. I'm, I admittedly, I'm just, I am rooting for him because he's been such a fun special teams player. <laughs> it's just, it's true. Just and every once in a while, there's a turnover. He has to block and it's like, Oh sweet. Right. Here we go. Yeah. I, I mean, he scored out well in this game, but like I said, it's a, uh, I so I'm going past him. Cause like Kalel Mullings is kind of a, a guy at this point. He's just, he doesn't, he doesn't really slam into blocks. He's more kind of, you know, he's still learning where right. to go. He, I mean, I think what we've discovered about Kolo Mullings is that he should be a running back. And the reason that he's not a running back is because of depth issues. Yeah, and we and... saw the depth issues of this game. Um, very bright. I mean, Jimmy Rolder and especially Michael Pollard are just not ready to go yet. And that well, not supposed to be. Like, the yeah. true freshman, and both of them were kind of guys who were expected to need a few years. So... Um, you know, Pollard was the really the guy at fault for the touchdown. I didn't even put the clip up on, I, or maybe I clipped it, but I didn't put him in the scoring or anything. I was like, that doesn't need to be in his, that that doesn't need to be in his resume for for the future because he's only out there because they're up by fifty points right the game or whatever, forty two. So did you te- did you detect anything from Makari Page other than the two pretty obvious good plays? Uh, no, I think that the reason we were focusing on him was because he had those two plays right in a row. Right. But, and so like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm aware that the answer to that was probably going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way this game was. I mean, he had but, 19 uh, snaps. So like, right. it's not like there were a lot of opportunities. So, you know, he makes two plays out of you know, how many, how many, how often do the safeties even get to be on screen in this game? So, right. I mean, yeah, he right. looked viable he looked like you know when he's out there and he's moving around it's not like oh where's Moten you know um Moten had that one eye-opening play though where like they they're doing the amoeba stuff and they they get caught with a tight end drag underneath him and that's the 
play. Like Hawaii actually like tried to get everybody cleared out and get that drag and, and hope they just got man coverage with the safety trying to pretend he's blitzing. So he has to go from showing blitz on the other side and then take the tight end drag all the way across. The guy has a huge lead on him and he just takes him down behind the line of scrimmage. And it's like, that was, that was a, an athletic play for a guy who's 225 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like, Safety's got to be able to track down that tight end in that amount of time because he had to go all the way across the field. That was a long time to. I don't know. It was a good play. Yeah, uh, yeah. I. It's just it, Moten. He had another good game, and he. Um, you can see his size sometimes when he's playing against the run. He, I mean, sometimes a, a lot of times I'll like see him make a tackle and be like, "Which linebacker is that?" Oh, wait, no, the safety showed up. Um, Did you do you have any anyone nosing ahead in the? Weak side end four way not not really. battle. No, I mean I they they played well, yeah, McGregor. <laughs> I mean if I, I my take is so hot because like they he was the guy who came in kind of later, but Derek Moore still you know looks like the guy that's most translatable. If you want to go by pure score on this one, it was Taylor Upshaw actually. But I mean he was playing defensive tackle on the in the rush package, and he mm-hmm. was stunting a lot, and he actually has come a long way in his dropping so like they can drop him into coverage and blitz a linebacker and you know he's actually in the right spot and makes that hard and knows where the slant's going to be and I mean if you can replace if you can have you know Michael Barrett blitzing and cover his zone with Taylor Upshaw that's a win all right we're gonna take a break come back and we've got a gimmicky top five that's a little snotty but whatever peak wealth we believe we can help you retire with confidence it's nick hopwood certified financial planner from peak wealth management in plymouth i graduated from michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded peak wealth management in 2014 now we have over 240 million of assets under management as a freshman in 97 winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that both my wife and i lived in bursley that year and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or 
application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. What's wrong? Does nobody here love you? Do you feel alone? Need somebody to hold you? Have you given up? Are you giving it in? Kick the shit, take the hit. Are you giving your all? Are you getting too old? Do you feel like a failure? Don't you have a good job? One that makes Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.2. It's 8.2, we have- actually. 8.2? I think so. I could check, Whatever. but yeah. I mean, no, getting it wrong is kind of part of the tradition, right? Yeah, we've got to be confidently wrong. That's what we do around here. Yeah. All right. So we have a gimmicky top five based on this non-conference schedule, which has been underwhelming. <laughs> and so it is the top five schedule announcements that would fill you with the most loathing, disgust, fear, or apathy. Just the the worst possible thing where it's like oh we're gonna play this team in 2027 what you just you just don't want to hear seth you're number five my number five i i i know you guys are gonna pick so i'm trying to do things that aren't on your list so i'm just grant ahead of time that i agree with all your lists so my number five is james madison you who just moved okay they just moved up from fcs and no one even knows that and they've been like other than North Dakota State, have been like the best FCU, FCS team. They're the one that always like loses to North Dakota State or is expected to to get there and play them. They are eight and three against the spread uh, in their games against FBS opponents before this year. And every single time I see them, there's like a weird sickos game in September. Like you know, we're watching something and all of a sudden, you know, they're in a game with uh, who was it, West Virginia or NC State? Like I, they're 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 good and no one knows they're good and they're probably going to like trounce through the sun belt right now. I think they won their first two games by combined score of 100 to 14 or something like that right now. So James Madison U is actually really good at football and no one knows that, so I really don't want to see them come to Michigan and give us a game. Also they're really good at defense, so <laughs> All right, Alex, you're number 4. I'm going to first comment and say that I support that as payback for five. the for the 2019 
uh, softball regional. We don't need to talk <laughs> about that, but James Madison can suffer forever. Anyway, uh, my number five is based on what we witnessed this past weekend. Any Sunbelt team. <laughs> Georgia Southern, App State, doesn't matter. Marshall, no. All right. My number five is any neutral site game. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play in an NFL stadium. I don't want to play at Wrigley Field. I don't want to play in a on an aircraft carrier. I don't know how you did a football game on an aircraft carrier. But you know, as a fan who might go to a road game, I would rather go to Eugene, Oregon. I'd rather go to Seattle. I'd rather go to a place where it feels like college football lives there instead of visits there. Um, and the atmosphere in these neutral site games is always lame. It's side, not like going, going to West Virginia. Side know? question. What stadium would be like the lowest level that you would like want Michigan to play at? Like the like, like Michigan's like, a- like college football stadium yeah which college football stadium like you know i would have sent to michigan lowering themselves to play so and so at such and such all right so uh we've already been below the line because we played at uconn that is (laughs) not above the line and also we go to rutgers every other year which is not above (laughs) the line so but I, i you know i think anywhere where it just has like a genuine college football feel like where people are going to be pumped up. So like West Virginia is a great example. I would love for Michigan to play at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Um, like Wake Forest, eh, probably not. Yeah. You know, it's just because what is that crowd going to be like? How, how energized is it going to be? How, how fun is it? Um, so or, like Oregon, yes. Washington, yes. Oregon state, no. USC, yes. UCLA, yes, but that's only because of where they play. Well, they're conference mates now, so that's going to happen. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, like, like I think Utah, we played at Utah. That was yeah. a really would good environment. Play, that was... I mean, would you play at Cincy? You no, know. I don't okay. I don't think so. Because that's, yeah, I mean, it would probably be a great environment, but also, like, we can't throw our new university president into the fire like that. That'd be, that'd be rough. <laughs> All right, Seth, you're number four. My number four is Liberty University. <laughs> Alex, you're number four. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why we're allowing. A no, no, no. You're school. completely right. And we're moving on. I Alex, joke. You're four. <laughs> um, Brian's not going to like this one, but my answer is Notre Dame. I Until they join the Big Ten, until they join the Big Ten, I will not play Notre Dame. Oh they do God. not get to be holier than us. They have oh to join God. us, and then we can play them. And, and also, the fact that we don't play them—the last time we played them, we blew them out. Yes. That's the last. That's the last meeting. We don't need to do another one. It sits in their brains forever that they got their face right. pounded oh. in. Al- Alex and I like uh, both chose Jake religious... Coston. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Coston was tweeting after the Appalachian State A and M game. Mm-hmm. She was like, "People are asking what to do." And she's like, I don't really have any advice except find 2007 Jimmy Clausen and beat his head in. That was so amazing. <laughs> I, like, if we don't play Notre Dame, like that, that like palate cleanser never happens. Great. I mean, like, that was, yeah, that, that was very memorable. I, we got a great YouTube out of it. You got the, the Jimmy Clausen yeah, Heisman I mean, sequel to Brady Quinn for a Heisman video. Like, Alex is just like real politic, he's just the Bismarck of our podcast. Where he's like, we we were only scheduling crappy teams in the non-conference, so we don't get any losses, and we're not going to play Notre Dame until you, like we lift the sanctions on them by them joining the Big Big Ten. All right, uh, my number four is Alabama because <laughs> who needs that really? 
we yeah. did that once. Yeah. It was people were like excited about it, and then we're like, before the game, they were like, actually, this is a mistake. <laughs> this is this was not a not a good. Any, idea. Anyone who was in a convert after the first play, I think, pretty much did. right. Yeah, and Georgia is also in that tier now. Mm-hmm. Like, I would play. I would play Clemson. I yeah. Right, you're gonna. But, I, I I don't. I know Georgia would would kill us, but I still want to play Georgia. Sanford Stadium is so beautiful. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I actually I I went to a Georgia Tennessee we went, game. Went to there. the same game. Yeah. Did we? Yes. With I, Tyler Bray. I yes. I was I was there separately from you. I just happened to. It was like a Michigan bye week, so my best friend invited me down to stay, yeah. and, and like you guys just happened to be tailgating with the uh, um, SB Nation guys. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Seth, you're number three. Uh, Texas A&M. <laughs> God damn it, Seth. <laughs> I mean, we have I made Michigan... the same joke at number two. Because <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. So I don't what need to say it. What could be worse than losing to Appalachian it. State, losing just... to the team that lost to Appalachian State? Yeah, well, yeah. boy, they, yeah. they might they might say something about that, but also their fan base is Michigan State plus the Branch Davidians. Like, I, I, we don't need that. <laughs> All right. Alex, you're number three. Uh, you, you took mine. Mine was Alabama. That, And I'm just going to add in that there's this history of teams who play Alabama in the non-con having like a far worse season than expected. Like it just destroys your season if you do that. So, no. My number three is any team with the word Dakota in it. <laughs> These are FCS. I don't know. Yeah. The South, no state or no, no state doesn't what, matter. It depends what sport. Because yeah, like playing you can, in the basketball works. Yeah, they football. each all have like one. Like you could cobble no, together a good Dakota team out of like three Dakotas. No, but what I'm saying is like they play Wisconsin and it's a nail biter. They play at Iowa, it's a nail biter. They just kind of feel like they're they're running these weird systems and they're all they they all like just hang out with bison all day. So they're all really strong because they got to fight the bison and or, I, I just. If it's if there's a FCS team that Michigan's got to play, just no Dakota, no no Dakota. That's that's what I got. Seth, you're number two. Um, Fritz Chrysler, please do not play Michigan State College anymore. I I know that they're sweet. I know that they're your buddies. I know that like you need to fill a stadium and they're coming and it's the depression and everything like that. But listen to me. They're going to take all that money from World War II. Yes, we're going to get into another World War. Sorry, we're going to win. It's cool. Um, but then they're going to like change everything man they're gonna blow up they're gonna be eight times the size they were just five years ago they're gonna like state start taking recruits from everywhere they're going to like decide that they hate us for some reason and just like make their entire life about destroying us just when biggie mun wants to go there tell him no tell him the oklahoma job is a good job really and he could take that one when they offer it and go there and don't schedule michigan state college anymore just rotate with them and like michigan normal and central Michigan normal and all those teaching colleges with directions in their name. Just make them one of them. Do not, do not, do not let them in the big 10, whatever you do. That's my number. All two. right, Alex, you're number two. So I generally like opponents that are in the like 60 to hundred SP plus range. <laughs> what I don't like, and this has been shown this year is opponents in the one twenties and one this... that is often there. And they the last time they were here it didn't go too well. The Akron Zips, there no Akron. <laughs> My number two was A and M for the same reason that yeah Seth at A and M. Seth, your number one. My number one is everyone that Dave Brandon already scheduled. 
Don't play service academies. Don't play Alabama and Jerry World. Don't play UConn. Don't play Akron. Don't play at UConn. Akron, by the way, are just Ohio State fans who traded the football for a better mascot. Don't play games that remind you of everybody. The one thing that Michigan fans don't want to be reminded of. Everything that Dave Brandon scheduled, don't do that. That's my number one. Alex, you're number one. Yeah, that's it. That's along the lines. It's UConn. Society <laughs> has evolved past the need for UConn football. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were in a conference, and then UConn was like, you know, our basketball team <laughs> needs to be in the Big East, even if the cost is we're a Division One independent in football. And uh, I got to tell you something. I, I habitually just type in team roster and see what comes up because mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at rosters and stuff. I typed in UConn roster. UConn has got to be the only university on the planet. So if you just do that, it gives you the women's basketball roster first. <laughs> and then it gives you the men's basketball roster. <laughs> and then it gives you the equestrian team. That one was a joke. My number one is uh, something touched on by Seth. No service academies. Yeah. I just... <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to watch him run the option for three hours while my bowels clench unclench and clench again not a good time i mean i have the utmost respect for the service academies (laughs) and i'm gonna send them 50 dollars a year until i die as long as michigan doesn't ever schedule them that's that's it give them the money don't play them in football all right we're gonna take a break and start looking at the basketball season with matt d in southeastern michigan the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100,000. it doesn't have to though Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan, dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced, co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning licensees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. 
If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. Radio 9.2. I don't care if it's 8.2, Seth. I'm declaring it's 9.2. The royal decree has gone out. We welcome in Matt D of EndlessMotor.com. How you doing, Matt? Good. How about yourself? So we thought we'd start looking at Michigan basketball upcoming season. They filled out their roster with uh, Yusuf Hyatt. <clears throat> but let's start with point guard where it's apparently going to be Jalen Llewellyn backed up by uh, Doug McDaniel. Um, we, nobody got to see any of the um, overseas uh, games at Michigan, but they did put out some box scores. Looked fairly encouraging, uh, especially given some of the competition was pretty tough. Uh, so, what? Do you, how do you see that playing out? Because Luell's more of a combo guard, right? He is, but he has some playmaking chops. Uh, you know, the first thing I'd like to say about him that I like in relation to our two previous transfer point guards, the size. Luell's probably a legit six-two, and he has some uh, some ability to pull up jumpers. So we've seen that uh, a defense has been utilized against both. Well, not so much Mike Smith, but really against Devontae Jones in particular, just going under ball screens. Well, Llewellyn can make you pay for that. And uh, Smith had some issues getting to his pull-up just because of the nature of his size and, and lack of stature. So while I think the Llewellyn is probably more uh, prone to be a scorer, he does have some playmaking chops. I, I'd look for him to be in that three to four assist uh, per night type of range. and uh, But I think he's going to bring some additional scoring chops. If you go back and look at the numbers between Jones and Smith, I think they were both roughly 10 and five guys, give or take a, a point or a half assist. I think with Llewellyn, you might see him more around the 13, 14 point per game uh, type of type of outing with maybe three or four assists rather than the five. And I like the size. So I think uh, Brian hit the nail on the head right there. We're probably looking for Llewellyn, barring foul, foul trouble, 32, 33 minutes a night, Doug five to seven minutes per night, uh, you know, give or take a foul here or there. Yeah, and so Llewellyn is is a Ivy League transfer, but he was a top 100 recruit coming out of college. So on a, on a different level athletically, I think from both of the previous transfer point guards. Absolutely, he he was a different pedigree of of, of recruits. Had uh, had P5 offers multiple, so he could have chosen to go that route. Went the Ivy League route, so it was a really good player at that level. And as we've seen with with Mike Smith, 
those kind of guards can be really effective in the Big Ten. And, and also, given the track record of Juwan sort of utilizing these these up transfers the last two years, I don't think there's any reason to believe that won't happen again. This will be the third year running, and I expect it to be to be a success. The other thing that Llewellyn brings that uh, Monte Jones didn't quite is he shot 38% from three last year. Now, his career numbers are lower than that, but he started off at 25%, hit 31 last year and up to 38. So that's trending in a very good direction. Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree. I, I think that he'll get better shots at Michigan. Obviously, when you have a, a player of the caliber of Hunter Dickinson, just the, the doubles and the, the gravity that he has, you're going to get a certain amount of space that I don't think you necessarily get in the Ivy League. So I'm, I'm pretty encouraged about the trajectory and the specific type of shot quality that he'll get uh, with Michigan. At the two, Kobe Bufkin is probably one of the most important guys on the roster going from year one where he had sort of a Karis Levert for freshman year. He was just too small, couldn't really be effective on the floor and reportedly has added a lot of weight, reportedly has looked pretty good in practices and overseas. Uh, what do you project his role is? So first I can confirm 193. That is the weight that he's at. I'm talking to certain folks and, and I've uh, you know, the muscle mass is there, you know, still probably you want him around 200, but in relation to what he was last year, definitely made physical gains. Uh, you know, he's a really versatile offensive player. He's a guy that he can play off ball, a catch and shoot guy that can make triples for you. I, I know he didn't hit at a high clip last year, but it's really hard to ignore the shot mechanics. I mean, they're approaching perfect, the balance, the follow through, the release point, all that sort of thing. And I know people didn't really see it last year, but he has some ability to create his own shot off the dribble and as a secondary playmaker. So offensively, you know, I think given given the reps, he'll, he'll be fine. You know, the question, I think, as we all know, it's going to be on the other end of the court. He's not necessarily the most agile guy around. And then you put that in tandem with the lack of strength. So it made it, it made it challenging for him at times last year. But I think with the added bulk and maybe learning the intricacies of the defense, we just need him to make a moderate step forward and just basically be an average defender. And, and that opens up a lot of things for us on the offensive end, if you can do that. And then his likely backup, the fourth guard on the roster is Joey Baker, a Duke transfer, who's basically just a shooter. Yeah, I think what, what you want from Baker is the, the thing you're looking for is obviously he's a, a reputed catch and shoot guy. But can he shoot off movement? Can we run him off any flares, off any pin downs and things of that nature? If he can do that. That, that really opens up some things because if he can shoot off moving and hit a few shots, that, that really opens up the playbook where he has gravity. But, you know, a guy that, that I didn't necessarily talk about, we haven't really mentioned, that could be a potentially a viable backup is, is, backup is, is Isaiah Barnes because he shot the ball really well in the overseas trip. And he did. He's the guy that has sort of that athletic profile to where, you know, there were questions concerning his motor in high school, but if he can sort of, you know, address those concerns and, again, learn the intricacies of the defense, he could be a viable guy at the two if, if you know, things aren't working out well elsewhere. It's yeah, very encouraging to hear his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, that's that's definitely a name I wanted to mention. A guy that's 6'5", you know, got a chiseled frame, and a very high-profile athlete. I, I, I like the sound of it, if he can put it all together. Yeah, because, I mean, he can jump out of the gym and, and yeah. it's just like, all right, comes and just evaporates. Nobody's really talking about him. And so then you get a little worried and it's nice to see that there's at least some talk about him so far. Yeah, no, I, I'm, you know, he's always going to be a long-term guy. That was a sort of a developmental prospect and that, that's fine. Given what we had the last few years, you needed a guy like that to stable, but athletically he is the one guy sort of on the perimeter with that ceiling that you could see, you know, if he's going to take a jump with a, with a summer of camp Sanderson and more reps, uh, that'd be the guy that I, that I would bet on, you know, and I'm not saying he will, 
but the, the potential is there. He's a really high ceiling guy, given given his athletic profile and, and sort of again what Brian said. We didn't get to see the games, but given what we saw on the box score, it's it's encouraging from a shooting perspective. And then it seems like at the three, the most natural fit is just stick Jed Howard directly in the starting lineup. Yeah, there's no questions. He's the default choice for our volume, uh, you know, a three attempt guy and then knockdown shooter at IMG. I believe he shot close to 40% from distance. And we're not talking about a guy that just stands in the corner. We're talking about a guy that takes, you know, difficult shots, pull up threes off the dribble, that sort of thing. And he has a college ready frame. I'm told the Jets hovering around 220 and that's not based on what I saw from him in high school. That's not hard to believe. The, the, the question for him is how soon can he get acclimated to defense? And if so, can he guard it too? I'm inclined to say he's more of a three, four right now, but that remains to be seen. And, and, you know, my guess is he'll start off the year starting at the three and all year he'll play a minimum 20, 25 minutes per game, just as the, his shooting prowess will, will, will command some gravity and, and carry some weight to sort of open up the floor for, for Hunter Dickinson. But yeah, if, if that guy can ever develop his left hand and, and become a, a viable creator going left, I, I think he's got a ton of talent elsewhere to really, really make a dent in the Big Ten. All right, so I'm going to skip the backup situation here because it's pretty wide open and skip to the four where Terrence Williams should emerge into the starting lineup, be that glue guy, junkyard dog, outside shooter, multi-position defender. Yeah, I think you, you said it perfectly. Utility guy, you know, you know, probably best suited as a three, four, probably a four, but in certain situations, depending on the matchup, wouldn't be surprised to see him slide down to the two or even slide up to the five. But the thing you want to see from, from Williams the most, and that's what we saw in the tournament is just the motor. Yeah. I mean, when was, was that, I believe it was Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I mean, as big of a game as Frankie had, you take away those offensive rebounds and putbacks from Williams. I don't know where we are that game. Like those were huge plays, like just his motor and just, the relentless passion and pursuit of the ball, they make a huge difference, you know, for, for this team. And he really came on as a shooter last year. You know, I know he didn't hit the percentage as a freshman, but if he can be somewhere in those mid-30s while bringing sort of that offensive rebounding prowess and the occasional post-up, that's a lot of value for this team. So that's that's the role I'm looking for him to fulfill. How, yeah, how... We, we saw a little bit of that, like, high-low stuff when, they, uh, when he and Dickinson were both freshmen, and they didn't really – get to play very much together, but I'm, I'm expecting that that could be a major asset for them as well. Yeah. The high low stuff, the entry pass stuff that we really saw from him as a freshman, we really didn't see a ton because Musa was in there last year. And, you know, Terrence is a, is a great program guy. He's going to give you the motor. He's going to hit down the shot. But I mean, we have to be candid. There was a talent gap there between he and Diabate. So, you know, it's yeah. probably, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, <laughs> one guy's an NBA player. The other guy's probably going to be, end up a very good college player, but you know, you can understand why, but moving forward this year, you know what I like about Terrence Williams, as Brian mentioned, is a high-low passer. He's not a one-trick pony. He upfakes, bounce pass. He can put touch on a pass over the top. He can get it to you in different angles. And for a guy that I don't know what Hunter, what, what percentile he is, but I'm inclined to say he's obviously one of the best post players in the entire country, that, that has a lot of value. And if he can hit his three-point shot at the mid-30s when Hunter's getting doubled, it just becomes a really potent weapon for a guy that, that has a lot of utility elsewhere. All right, so the backup situation at the three and the four is you have a couple of guys who we already mentioned who can play the two, and Joey Baker and uh, Isaiah Barnes, who are listed as 6'7", although I guess Barnes isn't that that tall. Then you have Greg Glenn, 6'7", freshman. You have Yusuf Hyatt, 6'9", freshman. You have Will Cheddar, a redshirt freshman, who's listed as 6'8", but you think it's 6'6". Um, <laughs> yeah. Who do you see emerging from that stew to give Michigan backup minutes at those two spots? 
So Brian's put me in a tough spot here because I want to say Yusuf Kayat, but having not seen him play live and play an international competition where it's a different game, you know, you're going to have to take what I say with a grain of salt. That being said, for a team that may lack agility and speed on the perimeter, I'm not sure that Shedder and Greg Glenn are the answers, at least this year, you know, for a team that features Hunter Dickinson. So I'm going to go with, with Yusuf. From what I've seen on the film, the straight line speed is there. The agility is adequate for him to defend at 3-4 position. And, man, this, that film show a motor. I mean, he transitions from end to end. He's just relentless in sprinting the court. And, uh, you know, I've seen some questions about his shooting mechanics in various scouting reports. And that's relatively insane to me. His shooting mechanics are, are superb. I, like, I, I, love, I love the shot mechanics. The balance is good. Release point, the arc, the rotation. You know, I don't think he's necessarily going to be an eyeball guy. But you don't need him to be with, with Will and Hunter Dickinson. You just need him to be able to take advantage of a compromised defense and scrambling and, and score in transition and hit a spot up three, like I said, at that mid-30s. And if he can give us 15 or so and maybe even 20 minutes per night, I think that really bodes well for the upside of this team. Yeah, he's sort of a like-for-like like with Terrence, right? So he's he's a little yeah. bit bigger. A little bit bigger. I know Terrence is listed at 6'7", but I, I, I'd be willing to wager that Yusuf's a, a bit taller. Yeah, so a little bit, but they're they're motor guys, right? So Motor guys, yeah. yeah. And they both can shoot from the outside too, so that's that's a, a very valuable skill. So Cheddar did have some pretty good shooting stats from from those overseas games. You don't really see him having a big role. So I like if you were to ask me about Cheddar independently, love him, love that he can bring outside shooting. The problem is on a, for me anyway on a team that so heavily features Hunter Dickinson, I find it hard to see them playing together because of the lack of foot speed on defense. That's the issue I have. Okay. So. Hunter's probably going to play, you know, most 35 minutes a night. How many minutes are you really going to play that tandem? I, I think if you're featuring a front court of Dickinson, Shedder, and Terrence Williams, uh, that's just becoming a little difficult for me to come to terms with defensively. So that's that's where I'm at. That's All where right. I like the Kayad option a bit more. At center, uh, I mean, Hunter Dickinson pretty much goes without saying at this point. I don't know what you're looking for him in year three to to be significantly different so yeah he upped the three-point percentage last year became a, vi a, a viable threat but you know brian i think you were the first on the train with this one he was you know showed promises i think he had a few like elbow pull-ups so that's what had you drinking the kool-aid on three-point shooting you were right so i'm going to go out on a limb and say he may not necessarily improve in terms of percentage but i think the volume will go up a bit and he'll be just as effective. What do you, what do you shoot last year? Around thirty three percent or so. I want to say thirty three. Yeah. Yeah. So if he can increase that volume, that does a lot for our spacing, just as the gravitational pull and that sort of thing. But yeah, he's going to be a twenty ten guy. He's going to get. And I don't know if I don't, how many assists did he average last year? One, one and a half or two? Uh, his, I don't. I'm looking at Ken Pop right now. His assist rate was sixteen, which is pretty pretty freaking good for a but, center. Let's be honest, though, it's ridiculous. I mean, how many skip passes that ended up being assisted he not get credited for? That's the yeah. thing. He's a or, better passer, or, or they just didn't make the shot. Like there, he yeah, said, yeah, Houston, how many times? <laughs> th that's why it sort of mitigates the need for a traditional point guard because really, once we get the ball across half court, in some ways, he he is our point guard because he's the horse of the offense. He he generates the the open looks. He is the gravity. So that's why I'm not quite as concerned as others about the, the the perceived lack of guard depth because Dickinson in some ways is our point guard. He attracts so much attention that he collapses the defense consistently on almost every possession. There's, we don't, there's Kofi Coburn is no longer there, so that takes one more mammoth out of there. So I mean, 
how many teams can realistically defend him one on one? I mean, other than Edie, really. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if any exist. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple guys coming in the league that might be able to, but yeah, I don't. For guys who are already established Big Ten players, uh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much Edie. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with Dickinson. I'm looking for him to just sort of up the volume, keep his scoring chops right around that 22, 20. And the volume is going to be increased. I'm guessing his usage will be, I don't know what it was last year, I'm guessing it'll be over 30 this year. And then backing him up, Terrace Reed, a freshman, 6'10", 260, a top 50 player, um, very much a around-the-bucket uh, post player, has a little bit of face-up ability, but doesn't really seem to – going to be able to extend that to the three-point line um i don't know what you think his defensive upside is so here's the thing with terrace reed if, if you're asking me for a guy that's going to rebound and eat up space i like that but i think brian you know the implied concern is can he switch on the ball screen can he hedge the answer to that in year one at least is probably going to be no it just doesn't have the the requisite agility the requisite agility i should say and then a the question becomes is he big enough to play drop coverage and I'm guessing realistically he's 6'9", but he is lengthy. It, it, he showed some ability to sort of protect the rim and block shots at the high school level. And we're not talking about just some standard high school. Like, Link Academy is, is one of the premier programs that plays elite competition every single game. So if there's one guy that you're going to bet on translating from that sort of program, it's probably him. So I'm guessing Juwan's going to opt to use him in drop coverage and sort of mask any potential concerns for agility that way. All right. So, I mean, last year – Fairly disappointing, 11-9 in the Big Ten. Kind of squeeze into the tournament, get one of the last buys as an 11 seed, and then kind of redeem yourself with a sweet 16 appearance. Uh, what what are we looking at for this year? I mean, you have your big guy back. You lost a couple of fringe NBA players. Um, you're pretty deep, but you, you don't have, like, an established point guard coming back. You're, you're really asking a, at least one freshman to come through big. And, I mean, there's a lot of question marks, I think, around this team. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with Brian, but I think the thing that maybe, myself included, that we're all failing to account for is that if you look at Michigan independently, right, you would say, all right, maybe we repeat the same sort of success or you know season that we had last year, but you have to factor into that equation that Big Ten is not necessarily strong this year. So once you 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 factor that into the equation, you start thinking, you know, top half finish of the Big Ten, maybe even third or fourth, it's not really outside the realm of, of possibility. I, I don't necessarily think Michigan is an overwhelming favorite, but if I told you today that Michigan would finish third or fourth in the Big Ten Conference, it doesn't seem like a stretch for me, to be honest. I mean, I, I yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a real weird year in the conference. So Bart Torvik's project, projections have Indiana as the best team followed by Illinois, uh, Michigan State, Purdue, and then Michigan, and Iowa, and just behind that. And the well, I, I love, I love Bart's off. work, but I don't know that I'm buying Indiana. As the, uh, <laughs> well, the I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but it's uh, there's no top 10 teams projected. It's yeah. pretty tightly bunched, um, and it, I think it's going to be a wide open year in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that if I were to pick a favorite right now, I'd probably go with Illinois, considering the type of additions they had via the portal. But but after that, I'm I totally concur with Brian. I mean, I don't really I I'd be disingenuous to sit here and say, you know, I think Michigan's gonna fall in the five or six range or the three to four range. There is a wide variety of outcomes that could happen. I mean, we don't know what Michigan State's gonna be, we don't know what Iowa's gonna be, we don't know what any of these teams are gonna be. I mean, really, it's it's a it's an interesting year from from that standpoint. 
Michigan's got the best player in the league. So I that's mean, right. Yeah, start. Yeah. I mean, start right well, there. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I, no, I mean, really, you know, and, and I'm a guy that's a, that's a, that's a heavy NBA guy, but but generally speaking, if you're a team with the best player on the floor at any given time, that gives you a chance in any game, and that's yeah. that's that's a good starting point to have if you're if you're Jawan Howard. All right, any uh, movement on the recruiting front? So on the recruiting, so so here's the thing, right? Michigan doesn't know what what how many roster spots, if any, they're going to be dealing with next year. I mean, hypothetically, we could return everybody. Because of the, the, the COVID year, Llewellyn's status is up in the air. Even Joey Baker, his status is up in the air because he had the injury and, and now the COVID. But for me, you know, when I look at the absolute priority, it's probably got to be a center. And, and the logic behind that is this. As we've seen the last three years, you know, smaller guys and smaller guards are pretty much plentiful in the portal. You can get yeah. a, a, a Big Ten level start almost every single year. And the way that the portal is going, I mean, there are guys that have been tra- that, that have transferred and been granted a waiver for two straight years. I think there was like five of them. They've all been approved. That's the standard. So there's going to be available players, and you can grab a Big Ten starter. But if you're Michigan and, and you know you're not playing NIL the way other schools play the NIL, if a Big Ten caliber starter comes on the market, what is the real likelihood that Michigan's going to get one of those guys? Answer is probably close to zero. So that's why that has to be the priority because you have to have a contingency plan if Hunter leaves. Now, it's an interesting question because with the new president here, hopefully NIL, you know, with the, the trajectory is upward. If you can sort of incentivize him to return for a senior year, well, then all bets that's, are off. But I still think you need a contingency plan. That's kind of what I've been thinking with Hunter. It's that, like, if we can make this guy the, you know, highest paid player in NCAA yeah. this year, like, I mean, Michigan I mean, fans have money. We could do it. And, like, look, okay, he's going to be make more here than he will in the NBA. I mean, the, the reality is unless a college version of Anthony Davis is walking through that door, you're not going to find a better center than Hunter Dickinson. So you have to do everything in your power to keep him. That, that's just the truth. He's the best player in the conference. He's going to be an All-American. So he he has the keys to everything. You can go get a transfer guard, an up transfer guard. We've seen it with Mike Smith. We've seen it with Jones. And I think we're going to see it with Llewellyn. You can get a Big Ten starting caliber point guard through the portal. And we don't really need any wings. I mean, what do we have, seven on the roster? Some, some, some iteration of a wing or three or four. So to me, it's a center. You need a contingency plan. You need depth in case Hunter leaves. Terrace is obviously being groomed for the starter in, in the years to come. So you need a, a viable depth option at the center. That's that's where I'm at with that. And Michigan is in the thick of things with, with Papa Conte. And, and I know we were the uh, perceived leader from, for the, the, the majority of the summer. And, and I think maybe concerns about Hunter Dickinson possibly returning and maybe stall things on that front. And there are some new names on the board, a guy named Ben Dongo from, from Colorado that the staff has started taking a look at. But it doesn't have to be an instant impact guy if we're going to get a guy from 23 because you have Terrence Reed. You need a developmental guy with some upside just, just for depth. So I think that has to be the number one priority for me. Yeah, um, and then Isaiah Collier, I think is his name. How's so that going? I didn't, I didn't want to mention him, you know, to get the fan base too, too excited. You know, <laughs> Sorry. We, we've seen these things sort of sort of unfold before. And, you know, the, the reason why it's so exciting, because you see a list that reads USC, Cincinnati, USC, and Michigan, with, with UCLA reportedly running last, you're like, okay, we, we got this. Yeah. But then you learn about the family connections where his brother's living out in LA and hoping to get to the entertainment industry, and, and uh-huh. USC is in the mix. It's like, yeah. And then you learn that Cincinnati is going all in, and, and the assistant coaches on that staff have heavy connections to the Atlanta area. But that being said, I think anybody that tells you they know what's going on there definitively is full of crap. I don't think anybody knows the kid in his camp. They play it close to the best. What I look at 
is the fall recruiting period just opened last Friday. So when I'm looking at which coaches are going to those open gyms, the one school you haven't heard of being in that open gym is UCLA. So that tells you all you need to know. If, if you know you're in the thick of things, you're going to expend resources. If you're not, you're not going to waste the time or the resources. Michigan has been in there not once, but twice. Michigan was their entire staff the first day, which was last Friday, and they came in again on Wednesday. So that tells me, at minimum, they have not been eliminated, and they believe they're right in the thick of things, along with Cincinnati and along with USC. So there's your top three. Uh, how that pecking order goes, I think that's anybody's guess, but I think any national pundits telling you, you know, they know anything with, with certainty, I, I don't buy it because the pecking order seems to change on a weekly basis. So fingers crossed, just like everybody else. That's the guy you take, you make room for no matter what. It's an impact guy at minimum 15 to 20 minutes a night as a freshman. Best playmaker in America, regardless of class. Phenomenal passer, phenomenal playmaker. All right. Well, thank you for previewing Michigan basketball for us. We will see you in the near future, I'm sure. Thanks for – Take it easy. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, you too. All right. You excited for uh, UConn? <laughs> you know what? I, I'm taking my daughter to this game. I don't mind at least one of these games so every year. I can just take Well, you had to. three in a row. So. No, because I, I can't take her to a game that starts at 9 o'clock. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's and true. I wasn't going to take her to the opener either. So. <laughs> I hope she never listens to this podcast. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop. He ate-